Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. This is Dr. Hal Altman and joining me today is Dr. Lee Vinicor to continue our discussion on the pharmacodynamics of THC and CBD. Uh, Welcome back, Lee. Hey, great to be back. In our last podcast, we talked a little bit about the ECS and we started to talk about THC and where it affects our bodies in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. And now we're uh, ready to talk about some of those effects and, and what that activity looks like. A question I think that many uh, of our listeners would be interested in is exactly what does cause the euphoria and intoxication with THC, Lee? You know how all the different effects, as we said, really depend on what areas of the brain have these CB1 receptors. So with respect to that, the nuclea accumbens, which is an area in the brain that is related to motivation and reward, once THC activates these dopaminergic uh receptors in that area, it produces that kind of euphoria and sense of well-being. And the intoxication probably comes from both the basal ganglia and, as we mentioned before, the cerebellum. So those are areas that affect planning and initial movement, as well as motor coordination and balance. So modulating the receptors with THC in that area kind of affects the psychomotor function, and it can lead to you know, slower reaction times and sometimes that kind of impaired coordination that makes people feel intoxicated. And in addition to that intoxication, uh, it's not unusual to see people who have appetite uh, stimulation or uh, some issues with particularly short-term memory. Can you comment on those? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So the hippocampus is the area in the brain that affects memory, and the neocortex complex affects thinking and feeling, and both have an abundance of neurons with CB1 receptors um, that are GABAergic cells, they're called. So therefore, THC can impair short-term memory as well as alter thinking and sometimes judgment if you're acutely intoxicated. And then cannabinoid receptors that are in the hypothalamus, that's the area that kind of controls appetite. So that's why THC is useful in uh, cases of HIV and wasting syndrome. It's anti-emetic, meaning anti-nausea and vomiting properties are increased because there are a few of those brainstem CB1 receptors that'll modulate that serotonin nerves too. So interestingly, there were preclinical studies, you know, done in animals that have confirmed its anti-emetic or anti-vomiting effect um, with CB1 receptors in that area. Um, 
so it if you because if you give they proved it if you give animals something there's a CB1 antagonist which kind of blocks those receptors Ramonabot and that um, will induce emesis and it can override those effects. So if you block those CB1 receptors, you get vomiting and it prevents the THC um, uh, from attaching to those receptors. And that's why it's been used in chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting too. That's fascinating. Um, so one of, the, one of the big promises for THC in particular and cannabis as, as a plant medicine is in the control of pain. And the hope is that somehow we can use cannabis to control pain rather than being as dependent as we've been on opioids. Can you speak to uh, the activity of THC and pain control? Yes. So um, it, it has been useful for that. It's found to have what we call anti-pain or anti-nociceptive is the big fancy term, and analgesic, everybody knows analgesic properties. So there have been animal studies that show that THC suppresses the electrophysiologic response to a painful stimuli in the spinal nerves. And it's been proven by using that antagonist, that blocker that we just talked about, and alternatively, it's been proposed that it is mediated by these nerves. They're called primary afferent nerves, and they're these sensory nerves that have what's called a vanilloid receptor, okay? Um, and the reason it's called vanilloid is because um, vanilla, <laughs> they've talked about using vanilla as a therapy for migraines and stuff. But that's how those receptors were named. It was found initially in the vanilla uh, plant, I guess. But there's evidence that it can act also on opioid receptors in acute and chronic pain. And potentiation or increasing of this can be blocked, again, with that CB1 antagonist, Ramonambot. So as well as the opioid antagonist, naloxone. Um, the other thing that's interesting about THC is a lot of times we do see um, that it can raise heart rate and cause tachycardia. And that, again, is related to CB1 receptor agonism. And remember, when something's an agonist, it means it attaches to the receptor and it promotes whatever that effect is. And when it's an antagonist, it blocks the receptor and it prevents that whatever is supposed to happen. So there is some issues that people have to think about with uh, THC, even when they're controlling pain, that not only uh, can it cause an increased heart rate, but it's been shown because there are some CBD1 receptors in the heart to decrease the pumping of the heart too. So it's just another thing that we have to think about. It's very complex. So the THC actions at CB1 and CB1 primarily uh, in the central nervous system, include euphoria and memory effects, appetite effects, and pain control. There, you also mentioned that there is another receptor called CB2. Can you talk about how THC interacts with CB2? 
Yeah, so CB2 receptors are usually located in the periphery. There's a lot of them within our immune system. They too are these G protein receptors um, with adenylcyclase activation pathways. They can be associated with kinases and ion channels like we discussed. And there's been a lot of preclinical animal studies that looked at THC on these CB2 receptors. And it's through that that we see decreased inflammation. We know kinases and cytokine storm, everyone's used to that now uh, with what's been going on with the pandemic. So it actually can decrease inflammation. It's been shown to decrease some of the degenerative responses with neuroinflammatory and neurodegenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis, ALS, and Huntington's disease. So they They've had those models in animals, and it seems to uh, help in those animal models. And it's CB2 agonism or attachment can also reduce inflammation in other chronic conditions. It's believed there's a lot of CB2 receptors in the gut and inflammatory bowel disease, which is an inflammatory condition of the GI system. It's helped with that. There's even some speculation that it can be protective for osteoporosis atherosclerosis and liver cirrhosis. So the actions at CB2 uh, obviously are different than CB1. I'd like to sort of move on if we could and talk about CBD. And it's our understanding that CBD and THC share many chemical similarities, but they don't share um, exactly the same receptor sites. And therefore, CBD has a different action profile? Yes, absolutely. You know, there was initially a little less research on CBD, but that's been changing after the 2018 Farm Bill that made hemp illegal in, in most states in the U.S., there's been a lot of active research into CBD and it's been studied. Now, the interesting thing about CBD is it has a low affinity for the CB1 and CB2 receptors, meaning it doesn't attach well to them, but it modulates many non-endocannabinoid receptors. But with respect to the cannabinoid receptors, it's um, called an allosteric modulator. And that means that it's binding to the receptor, not in the main binding site, but in another site. And what's interesting about CBD is it's considered a negative allosteric modulator for the CB1 receptor. And what that essentially means is it will attach to the CB1 receptor in another area of the receptor, and it'll actually make the binding site, weaken the binding site so not as much THC can bind to it, and it will lessen the effects of THC, namely its psychoactive effects. So depending on the concentration and the ratio of cannabis of CBD to THC, that can sometimes be advantageous because, you know, as a clinician, sometimes we want the therapeutic effects, the pain control, the anti-inflammation, but we don't want a lot of intoxicating effects, especially with the elderly that might have chronic pain. So by adjusting those ratios, in products that we use for medical cannabis, we can get the advantages of the therapeutic effects with less of the high and intoxicating effects. That's very interesting, Lee. I, uh, I think that we all recognize that Western medicine has a penchant for 
single uh, ingredients and dosing in those single ingredients. The fact that CBD has a modulating effect on THC at CB1 is, uh, I think, a good example of what we'll later explore, uh, termed the entourage effect. We mentioned that CBD is different than THC in terms of its receptor sites and molecular targets. Can you speak a little bit about that specifically? Yeah, so let's look at something, for example, with anxiety. So CBD will modulate the GABA, okay, site, okay, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in our CNS. So other anti-anxiety medicines like Valium also mediate GABA receptor transmission. And what CBD does and why people feel that it's useful in anxiety is that it interacts and it'll activate GABA, which is proposed to reduce anxiety by modulating it, because GABA, again, inhibits the firing of those neurons, so it kind of quiets it down. Another uh, proposed mechanism of anti-anxiety has to do with serotonin receptors, and we know that there's a lot of SSRI drugs out there that are used for anxiety that modulate these serotonin receptors and are used for anti as antidepressants. So just like those uh, drugs, CBD also has these anti-anxiety, antidepressant effects through the modulation of serotonin receptors. And there's even been studies now that are looking at using it as a treatment for addictions, whether it's food or drugs, and to help modulate sleep, and it also can affect pain. So, Lee, uh, earlier you talked about THC um, and its potential treatment as a pain medication. All you have to do is pick up a a paper, look at a website, or look at the television, and there are all sorts of CBD companies that are touting uh, the beneficial effects of CBD as uh, an analgesic agent. Can you help us understand that? Yes, it it may regulate both pain perception and anti-inflammation properties, anti-inflammatory properties. So some studies have speculated that it's this interaction and activation of the vanilloid receptor, which we talked about a little uh, while ago. It, they're called TRIP-V1 receptors originally found in the vanilla bean, which, as I said before, some people used to use as a remedy for headaches. So it's through that receptor that it's believed it can help with pain perception and anti-inflammation. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm afraid we're out of time. I, I hope that our listeners have found this to be as fascinating as I. And uh, we welcome you back uh, for our third segment of uh, the pharmacologic consideration of THC and CBD at our next podcast. Have a great day. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. 
If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.